Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. The old rules of work have changed. No longer must we stick to one lane for 35 or 40 years before earning a gold watch and a pension and really diving into our passion in retirement. My guest today, James Altucher, is proof that reinventions are more possible now than ever. He has lived through four professional rebirths along the way, constructing a multifaceted persona of entrepreneur, investor, best-selling author, and podcaster. His latest book examines just how quickly we can bust through the notion of mastery. Skip the line, the 10,000 experiments rule and other surprising advice for reaching your goals is available everywhere books are sold beginning February 23rd. James, welcome to Success. We are so excited to hear your stories. Kendra, I am so excited to be here. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. Oh, well, I got to tell you. So um, I have a lot of stories that I know you need to, sh- that I want you to share. Um, but there's one story I wanted to start at the beginning with one story in particular, and that is the day that we first Met. So this is like a huge deal for me to be sitting here um, interviewing, like having a conversation with you. And, and um, I was wondering, do you remember the day we first met by chance? I, I think I do. I was sitting in a diner uh, writing my ideas for the day and reading and you stopped by and uh, I forget if you had your book with you or you went back to your apartment and got the book and then I read it. Yeah. That was pretty, so my version is much more dramatic of that story. Like I was, I went into the diner. We had just dropped And I was killing out. people everywhere. Yes. Bloodthirsty <laughs> and about to kill you in this horror movie sequence. I completely and, forget that. And then I know, no, I, I saw, so I was in the diner with my husband. We were chatting with a friend. We had just dropped the kids off and I had just come back. My book had just come out. So I was really excited, but I had been traveling. Like I was on the road all the time. And I think I was wearing yesterday's makeup. I was just, I was a mess. Uh, and I look over and I see you sitting there. My husband knows you. He's a huge fan. And he looks at me like, you know, you have to go talk to him. I'm like, I can't, I can't go up and talk. I don't know what I would say. I'm so tired. I look so tired. Like I can't do this. And so, but I knew I had to. So I remember I went up and was like, Mr. Aldercher. So I'm just like, I'm such a fan. I love what you, and, and then I think I did say like, I wrote a book. And you're like, uh huh. And you're just sitting there by yourself trying to enjoy your morning. About to go to therapy. Yeah. (laughs) Not to be like, hi, can you? And then you said, oh, what's the title? And I did say to you, actually, will you be here for eight more minutes? And you said, I'll be here for eight minutes. And I ran home and ran up my walk up, got the book and a Sharpie, ran back. And then I sat down, but I was so sweaty from running that I actually picked up the napkin that you were using for your breakfast and used it to like wipe the sweat off my, I'm glad you forgot all of this. <laughs> I totally forgot that. Okay. Let's pretend that, let's pretend that didn't happen, but well, I'm glad you told me. Yeah. Yeah. So now you can remember, but I do remember one of the things I remembered about the conversation is you were talking about the new book you were working on. Um, so if this is September, 2019, 
skip the line, the 10,000 experiments rule and other surprising advice for reaching your goals. Where were you in the process of the book that's now coming out February 23rd? In the process, I was at the point where I was telling people I was writing the book and I hadn't started it for another five months. <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't start it. Thank God for the economic lockdowns because I would not have gotten that book done if not for that. Like I, didn't I was going to begin it. When was it due? When was the book due and you hadn't started? This makes me feel better. Uh, I think it was due like April 1st. And I think I started it in March, but then I handed it in around the, uh, by the end of April. Well, so much of it, and, and that's actually one of the things, it's a brilliant book, by the way, for anyone who is listening right now, it is, it was a great idea when you told me about it at the diner and you were still debating what the title should be. And yeah, I was, uh, I was really unsure because the initial, I even forgot what they initially wanted to call it and it wasn't horrible, but I, it was, I wasn't feeling it. Yeah. This is great. Skip the line and the cover art. I don't know if you had anything to do with that. I always judge books by a cover. Uh, I, I didn't have anything to do with it, but you're right. People always say, don't judge a book by its cover. But the reason people say that is because they do judge books by, because yeah. people do judge books by covers. There's no other way to judge a book when you walk into a bookstore, or even on Amazon, you see the cover and you're like, oh, I want to take a look at that. Well, and you nailed it with this one. Like, it's so obvious. It's uh, uh, like the sticker that you would get at like a meat counter, right? Oh yeah, like, yeah, right. Yeah, you're spot in line. No, it's really good. So we were, um, but what an interesting, like what a great, what a gift, uh, which is kind of a weird way to say it, but thank goodness you hadn't started writing the book because I feel like you would have had to completely rewrite it after the pandemic. Like this yeah, was- I, I think, you know, what we've seen in this pandemic, I mean, it's sad out of, you know, virus of course was sad, but this book has nothing to do with that. But on the economic side or on the personal side, you know, there's 128 million workers in the US normally and there were 55 million people who filed for unemployment insurance during these lockdowns, what are they gonna do? And my the original concept of the book, which I stuck with, is that in life, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, it doesn't matter, you change interests often. People change interests, passions, or they think that, oh, I've been a, a CPA or, an, or a marketing manager or a lawyer for 25 years, now I wanna do something else with my life, but everyone says, oh no, you know, you can't do that because you're, you know, they make up reasons like you're too old or you have to start from the bottom or whatever. And I wanted to show that I've switched careers many times. So have many people. And there's ways to do it where you could quickly jump to the front of the line. So you could start monetizing your real passions and interests. And so few people get to do that. Like you must know people who like just hate their lives. They, they hate their jobs. They can't wait till they retire. And then they really want to get down to their dream of um, opening up a, you know, a Cajun restaurant or, mm -hmm. or, you know, becoming a race car driver or becoming a writer. So, and, and so few people get to do it and you only have one life to live, to do these yeah. things. I, I think about one of the people I think about is my dad who, you know, worked, got, got, went to college, was in the Navy, went to college, got a job and worked there for 30, uh, whatever it was, 35 years, something like that. What and that was his job, like he job forever. And then it was 2009 and they laid him off. They didn't care that he had that many decades. And then do you know what he did? He started a rock band. So now my dad 
uh, he started, he, he got together with a guy that he used to play with in college. But of course, you know, like a rock band isn't a real job. You got to go get a real job. And now he and my, he has a duo. And then he and my mom are, have started this rock band in Arizona. And they just like, when they can, they just like rock out. They sell out every, every bar they go to. But here's the thing. It was forced upon him. Right. And so it was only then that he, because otherwise he would have stated that he would have stated that job until he had to retire. Um, and I think that this book and, and what you and what you've always talked about, but now I feel like it's all well, it's all in one place, like the subtitle of so many uh, tips and tricks and ideas, they're all in there. Like I was taking notes as fast as I could. So many people are in that position where things have just been flipped upside down, but we've been told that you can't, yeah, you got to wait. Like it's, it's just over for you because it's going to take too long to get anywhere. Yeah. Like, um, and you know, particularly during, I mean, again, I started this before the lockdown, or at least I had the idea for it and all the, you know, notes and everything. But during the lockdown, people suddenly realized, oh, wait, you mean I can't, I'm not allowed to go to work. I, yeah. I, I can live and move and do whatever I want right now. And at first it seems like a really bad thing because people need to work to live and to support their families and scary and all that. But the reality was, like you said, we're, we're, we were forced to uh, basically move wherever we want or do whatever we want. Like right now I'm in Florida. The people across the street from me, they work at Morgan Stanley in New York City, but they're here because Morgan Stanley doesn't have an office open in New York right now. Like they mm -hmm. they want people to be other places and people next door work at, you know, someplace else in California, people next door to them work in San Francisco. It's just on and on. Everyone is sort of do, does whatever they want now. Well, if you've been suspicious that, you know, that we're, we're however many months in with how many more months to go into the pandemic and the big work shakeup and everything, um, if you've been suspicious that like, let this book be permission that yes, you can, you can move, you can change things up as much as you like now is the opportunity. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, when I always, every single time this has happened, like where I start a new interest and I'm really excited and someone says to me, I'm thinking of every single instance that has happened in my life. Someone says to me, uh, you can't, you can't do that. You need to do, you know, this, this, this first, or you need to pay your dues, or you need to spend 20 years, or you need to wait your turn. Anybody who says that, it's because they're frustrated. They can't do it. They needed to wait their turn, and now it's 20 years later, and they, they haven't accomplished what they want. And, you know, it, they people are afraid, though. Like, they're afraid to take chances. They're afraid to, you know, we all have stories like, like your dad, like where, like, my grandfather also had was interested in music, had a music store, played with a band in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. And, but then he had to work at some kind of eyeglass factory because he had to raise kids. And right. there is, there are more opportunities than ever now to actually learn the skills you need and monetize those skills so that you can make a living and, and do well. You don't have to do the same thing for 40 years to enjoy life. Now, on the flip side of this, James, admittedly, like there were there were multiple times in the book where you were like, and I was broke and I lost everything and I had to start. So, so like how many times have you started over completely from scratch? Probably completely about four times. Like and that's and it's really frustrating. Like it, it's great 
to be young and broke and, and striving and hopeful, but it's horrible to then make the money and then go broke and then think, oh, I blew it. I'm never going to be able to make it again. Like I was stupid and I won the lottery and now nah, you can't win the lottery twice. And to be fair, some it's not great really to be broke even when you're young, but at least then you don't have as many responsibilities and you still have hope. And I just, each time I just lost hope because I thought like, oh, I just got lucky and now I'm never going to get this money back. I don't know what I'm doing. And you know, I had to bounce back each time. It's not, people sort of like wear failure like a badge of honor, but it's really just unpleasant. It's just a beautiful <laughs> thing. It's good to hear you. So do you think, like, do you anticipate going forward that you're going to go all the way to the bottom again and, and go broke all over again? Or are we good? Are you at like a, are you at a stable spot? I don't know. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I hope, but I thought, but I, but I made the mistake of thinking I was in a stable spot each of the other four times. So <laughs> I was, I, I always thought like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I don't even like business. And I, I just want to do what I love to do. And then, and I'm done with the work of being like a better human, like no more. I don't have to like be, you know, exercise and eat well. <laughs> and I, I could have like all my crappy friends or whatever. And, uh, I don't have to like, you know, make connections or network and, uh, but I was wrong each time. Well, so, um, I thought right, right from the, I mean, the whole premise, uh, where you start is the kind of the, um, uh, misconception of the 10,000 hours. Um, and I'm sure as success listeners, they've all heard this, right? Like you've got to put in the 10,000 hours. This is why, you know, I'm like, I watch the parents around me who are stressed out that their kids aren't playing soccer because in the back of their mind, they're like, they're losing out on the hours. Like how many hours are we losing? Now I do think like it is sad that kids aren't playing soccer, but it's not a matter of like the 10,000 hours rule. And you have a different, you, you talk about that. You have a different perspective, a different 10,000 rule. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the 10,000 hour rule was real. So this is a rule popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in the book Outliers, which says if you put 10,000 hours of what's called deliberate practice into something you want to be great at, you'll you'll get to be among the best in the world. And uh, he got the idea from this professor, Anders Ericsson, who wrote a book called Peak. It's a very great guy, uh, recently passed away a few years ago, and he really did the research and explored 10,000 hours. I was actually in the early 90s, I was part of some of his experiments yeah. for his research on the 10,000 hour rule because he did studies on violin players, chess players, uh, memory experts, and so on. And, um, uh, it, you know, I was struggling because here I was, I was, I, I had switched interests and I was starting to do stand up comedy. This was years ago. And, but I, I figured like I'm in my mid 40s. What am I going to do? Spend 20 years trying to get good at this? And everybody was telling me, James, James, just take it easy. Like do open mics for a few years. Then you get like, you go into the uh, clubs that nobody knows about for a few years. It takes time. You, you, you gotta, you gotta pay your dues. You can't do this. Mm -hmm. And you know, and then before that, I wanted to go from being a computer programmer to a hedge fund manager. 
and I talked to a guy who worked at a hedge fund. He's like, oh, you can't do this. You got to work at a bank, get an MBA, work at a hedge fund. And every time I wanted to do something, someone always told me I can't do it. And, and but particularly this recent time with, with comedy, everybody, I kept thinking, am I going to, how do you even put in 10,000 hours into comedy? Like, what does that even mean? So yeah. I called Anders, Anders Ericsson up and I said, I want to figure out the 10,000 hour rule for like performing arts type of thing, you know, for like comedy, for instance. And we couldn't figure out a metric by what, which to judge success. Is it how much money you make? Is it how much you perform? Is it how many laughs yeah. you get? Yeah. And so, uh, and then I, I, I was just, I was like struggling with this. I was wondering, can I borrow our hours from uh, comedy, from, from public speaking, from writing, from even from business. And I talked, I did a lot of, I did a lot of podcasts about people who I thought maybe had borrowed hours from mm -hmm. different activities for new ones, but I realized that wasn't quite doing it for me either. And so I spoke to Julia Cameron, who wrote this book, The Artist's Way, and uh, she writes about journaling every day and how to be creative and so on. And she didn't never heard of this 10,000 hour rule. So I explained it to her and she's uh, an, an older lady and she's like, you know, she put on this face and she's like, oh my poor sweet dear like you, you you've trapped yourself in this creative prison with this 10,000 hour rule you got to get out of that mindset and so I did and I realized when I look back at all the different activities I had done and you know the stories of so many people I had heard on my podcast and other places not very few people actually did the 10,000 hour rules before they were successful but they did something which I realized I was doing also which is they experimented so yeah. if you experiment you can learn much faster things nobody knows and you can get to the front of whatever industry you're in because you're experimenting with, you know, the, you know, you have to learn the basics, of course, and you have to be uh, sort of fluent or, or, or proficient in the language of whatever you're studying. But then you experiment to, to learn more and, and to really learn fast and, and, and really skip the line. And then, of course, there are skills needed like you have to understand how to monetize things, how to persuade people and so on. Those are other ancillary skills. But this experimentation aspect was very important. You know, and I think because experimentation can lead to a lot of discomfort, right? Like that's where you, you told the story of um, in the book of Tracy Morgan and being at a club with the comedian Tracy Morgan. Yeah. And they and they asked you, do you want to go before or after Tracy Morgan? And I know I know what my response would be like, can I can I go tomorrow? Like I yeah. want to go so far or or if it's not like a week later, I want to go like the week before. Uh so tell like what happened that tell us that story. Yeah, and this happened with with I that was the one I used as a story because he's very funny, but I, I've there's been a lot of like times when you go to a club and you're supposed to perform and then some super famous guy shows up or, or a woman shows up and, and wants to perform. And in this case, Trace, it was Tracy Morgan. And if, if I performed before him, it would be my normal set. People would react accordingly. I wouldn't learn anything new, but following Tracy Morgan, he is such an electric performer and it's a small club and like everybody's going to be, you know, here's a famous guy. Everyone's going to be impressed with who he is. And he's so funny and he's so weird too. He's got a very unique style. Like he's really unique. And then nobody wants to go after him. It's like, it's like a death sentence for you. You're going to die if you go, meaning no one's going to laugh. 
and they're all just going to be thinking about Tracy Morgan and how much unfunny I am compared to Tracy Morgan. So everybody chooses to go before him. I choose to go after him because when else am I going to get this specific opportunity to learn and to experience this discomfort? And I went after him and I did okay. I can't really even remember it that much. I didn't, but I didn't bomb and I don't think I did great or anything, but uh, I did okay. And it's just, that's how you learn. That's, you, you have to do the things that nobody else wants to do in order to skip the line. And people say, oh, it's too painful. But anything worth doing, anything worth doing is going to suck for a long time. Else we'll just all be really good at playing tic-tac-toe. Like tic-tac-toe never sucks and it's boring. But if some, if you play tennis, for instance, or if you play the violin, mostly it's going to suck. Like you're going to start doing some activity that's important and you're going to get better and better, but you're going to encounter resistance. If you're really improving every step of the way, you're going to encounter resistance. If you play tennis, every move up, you're going to find people who are better than you and you have to learn to get better than them. Or you could just stay comfortable and just play like for, you know, I play tennis, but I don't play it seriously. So my main opponent has been my, t t my then, you know, high school and junior high school daughter. So it was great for me. I could just kick her ass in tennis every day. And it was great. I felt great about myself just destroying her on the court. Good, and of course, when I played other adults, I would lose, but I didn't care because I didn't care about tennis. But with things I care about, you know, I'm immediately getting out of my comfort zone because I want to be good. And then it's like in comedy, when you start in comedy, you're you're bad and people are going to boo and heckle. Or when you start out investing, you're going to lose money. Or when you start out uh, doing public speaking, you're going to be scared to death. When you start out writing, no one's going to want to publish your books. When you start out doing a TV show, nobody's going to listen to your pitches. When you start a business and you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how to sell people. You know, everyone's going to reject you. They're going to go for your competition. Everything is hard that's worth doing. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. It's supposed to be hard, else everyone would do it. Well, and it doesn't mean that it has to be hard for 10,000 hours either. Right. No, that, that's the whole thing. So if you structure a way to learn, you if you really – like if Thomas Edison was just randomly – picking up objects and saying, is this a light bulb? Is this a light bulb? He would never discover a light bulb. Instead, he you know, had to construct an experiment and an experiment has little downside, but massive upside. So his experiment was, if I try this one wire, will it light the light bulb? No, okay, I'll try the next wire. No, okay, I'll try the next one. He did that 10,000 times, did 10,000 experiments, but he invented the light bulb. And people asked him, what was it like to fail 10,000 times? And he said, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I just learned 10,000 ways to not make a light bulb. And he didn't have to spend 10,000 hours doing it either. Like he, yeah. you, know, it, you know, another example I have in the book is um, this athlete, uh, Dick Fosbury, who uh, does the high jump in the 60s. And the high jump people, you know, you have to jump over this bar. And, and he had really long legs. So if he did a running jump and started jumping legs first, which is what everybody did, uh, and what the normal reaction to do would be, he, he kept hitting his legs against the bar. So he turned around and flipped backwards, and his coach was, that is ridiculous. Don't do that in competition. You could do that here in, the, in the high school, but don't do that in real competition. Two years later, he wins the gold medal at the Olympics. That guy was the worst high jumper, and then in two years, he's the gold medalist because he's figured out a way to experiment, and he skipped the line. 
Well, and I, I mean, I, you mentioned in there too, just getting uh, 1% with each one. It's not to, it's not to, you know, like, yeah, would it have been great if you had gone up after Tracy Morgan and, and you made everyone laugh even harder? Like, oh, okay, that's fine. But that's not, you got, you got better. And then as those choices to experiment that you get up exponentially better. And I would even say not only that, but with each, you know me, I'm the storyteller. With each one of these experiments, regardless of how they turn out, you get a story. Like oh, you, yeah. you get a story you can tell yourself in the future. You get a story you can tell outwardly. No, you're right. And it's probably your experience in storytelling that you, you caught on to a very important aspect of experimenting is that no matter what happens, you've got a great story. Like mm -hmm. I'll tell you one story or experiment I did that totally failed in every possible way, but it was great. I learned and I got a story out of it, which is a few years ago, Donald Trump, you know, a, a world famous tweeter uh, tweeted out that he wanted to buy Greenland, the country. And the prime minister of Denmark tweeted back, it's not for sale. And so several interesting things were happening there. One is, I didn't know you can just buy a country. And then I didn't know that Denmark technically owned Greenland. Yeah. I <laughs> so, was like, why is Denmark chiming in? That's interesting. Right. And oh, the yeah, fact yeah. that they were all, were all in the, doing this discussion over social media was just yeah. kind of crazy. So I figured, well, if they could do it, you know, just a bunch of random tweeters, if they could uh, negotiate for Greenland, why can't I? So I started a Kickstarter uh, to buy Greenland. And, and uh, I researched all the stuff, like why were these world leaders wanting to buy Greenland? And it's a whole thing, but there's all these natural resources and China is actually, like there's, there's a company, Greenland, I think it's called Greenland Minerals or Greenland Natural Resources, but it's owned by China. And they're basically digging up all the rare earth minerals in Greenland. Greenland and China are the only places to get these minerals and every country needs them to power their electric grid. So it turns out Greenland's very important and no one knows that. And so I started this Kickstarter to buy it but what I was really experimenting with was I wanted a, a new format to write an article. So instead of writing an article on just some random website, like here's why so-and-so wants to buy Greenland and blah, blah, blah. I did a, a whole, you know, it's almost like my story format was yeah. a Kickstarter campaign and it forced me to think about it in a different way and, but still do the research and, and get publicity in a different way than I normally would for an article. Yeah. So it was just an experiment in writing really. And I learned a lot like uh, that you can use any format really to, to tell a story. And I had some fun with it. And I actually started, people started sending in money and <laughs> both Kickstarter, Kickstarter then took it down because they realized <laughs> I was not serious. And then there was another one, Go, GoFundMe that I posted on and they took mine down as well. <laughs> because so Greenland the experiment failed. I didn't buy Greenland. But yeah, okay. <laughs> in every other way it worked out. But like, yeah, but think about all of the, uh, yeah, all, all, the all the experience you got from that experiment. Has it influenced your writing any since then? Well, I just know that, you know, there's always different ways to tell a story. As you know, like you could tell a story in the first person, in the third person. You could tell a story by showing two people writing letters back and forth to each other. Yeah. So these are all like classic ways to tell a story. And oh, how about a story that's structured as a Kickstarter campaign? Like yeah. that turns out to be just as viable. In fact, it was more, people were more likely to read it because throughout the story, of course, you're posting rewards if they donate. So mm -hmm. it's a new dimension to the story, which is basically if you read this far and if you donate money, you get 
an award. And, uh, uh, you know, so it was an interesting way to tell a story. And um, I did learn about Greenland, which I had never really learned before. So it was interesting. I want to go to Greenland. I want to yeah. go see. Is that it's where the cool. northern lights are? Uh, yeah, you can see the northern lights at, in, in, towards the north of Greenland. And it's very beautiful houses there. And I was even looking at Airbnbs in Greenland and real estate prices. And it's not so expensive, of course. And uh, it would be great to live there. Except it's cold. Yeah, well, it's it was 21 degrees here today in New York, James. So. Oh well, I'm sorry. It's 75 degrees. I know. Right now Just can you? We're we're gonna cut that. I don't want to hear it. Hey, I actually this is something. Um, as I was as I was reading the book and and. And, and just thinking about you and the way that you you work even beyond this, even prior to this book, it's something that's always fascinated me about you is you're just an idea factory. Like they, and I don't even know, I can't even, I can't even begin to understand like how these ideas just, there's so many of them. But I remember actually during quarantine, which I, early on March, April, which I have to say, thank you so much for the lives that you were doing. Then they were, they, it was like medicine. Like I was tuning in just to like have, you were like one of my voices of reason. So I would, yeah, there there was so much like propaganda and misinformation out there. I just felt like I, even though I don't normally do topical podcasts, I felt like I needed to start doing that just to sort of give a, an alternative view of what was happening. Yeah, it was it was really helpful. And I remember, I mean, that was a very uncreative time for me. I was I was doing work, I was creating because I wasn't traveling so much anymore. So I think it's inter- interesting that you were able to write the book during the pandemic because I was felt or right early on because I felt very stifled in that way. But I remember having an idea and you were talking about and you talk about it in the book, um, idea calculus. And I had this where you can add two ideas together. Yeah. And you had mentioned it on one of those, and we can talk about that, but you had mentioned it on one of those lives and wherever I was, and I was listening to it, I had this incredible idea calculus, like adding two ideas together, like layering. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got it. I have no idea what it was. I cannot remember. I can only remember the feeling I had when I went back and reread this. And I was like, oh, he was talking about, oh my gosh, I had that. And it was gone. So this is more a technical question. James, how do you keep track of all of your ideas? Like, do you, uh, how, why? Well, so every, you know, uh, the idea muscle is a muscle like any other muscle. And so like, if you don't walk for two or three weeks, you'll need physical therapy to walk in because your muscles will atrophy that fast and the idea muscle atrophies just as fast and most people don't exercise it so there was this one time I was dead broke I was really depressed and I don't know why I I wandered into a a restaurant supply store on the Bowery and bought a box of waiters pads 100 waiters pads for $10 and I just really liked the look of waiters pads and they they could fit in your pocket and you could write bullet pointed lists and I started writing ideas down like the next day and I write 10 ideas a day down. And it's just, I realized after like a month, oh, my, my brain actually feels different. It feels like it's lighting up. And I was just writing more and more ideas and getting, and some of the ideas were actually good. And I started doing that and I've been doing it pretty much ever since where I just every day exercise my idea muscle and I'll, I'll tell you, and it really creates life-changing opportunities. So the very first idea list I made was 10 ideas for books I could write. 
And then, but sometimes I'll write 10 ideas for businesses, 10 ideas for investments, 10 ideas for, that Google should do, 10 ideas Amazon should do, 10 ideas Kendra should do, 10 ideas whatever. And sometimes I share those lists with people if I think it's interesting, or sometimes I just throw them away because you can't have 3,600 good ideas a year. You're only gonna have like one or two. So I don't really keep track of them. I just, if I'm writing them every day, if the next day I'm still excited about one, I might flesh it out a little bit more in the idea list, but I don't really keep track of them because part of it is just feeling abundant in ideas all the time. And, but I'll tell you one, what, like, because I've given, shared my ideas with Google, with Amazon, with other companies, I, I've spoken at Google now, I've spoken at LinkedIn, Amazon, Quora, uh, Twitter, because I, you know, you share a good list of ideas. They'll say, oh, hey, can you come whenever you're in Silicon Valley, come and visit us. And I always say, well, it happens. I'm going to be there next week, even though I had no plans to be there. And then I would just show up at Google like on a Wednesday and, you know, speak to their crew and stuff. But a few months ago, I uh, was talking to uh, Charlemagne the God. He's a radio host, has like five to 10 million listeners a day. And he had done that speech with uh, now President Biden, and and he he said, you know, Biden had to go, and Charlemagne, uh, who has a, a a big urban audience, he said, oh, you know, you can't go yet. We have questions, and, but Biden had to go, and I wrote to Charlemagne and I said, you know, uh, that that line you said, we have questions, that feels like the title of a book. It's like a rallying cry. We have questions, and so I wrote that my list that morning was ten questions that. I might have about racism yeah. and I gave it to Charlemagne. I said, uh, you should write this. And he's like, Oh, don't you want to do it with me? And, um, you know, you made this list. It's, uh, it's, it looks good. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just, I'm, I'm just sharing this with you. I just, I want you to do it. I think you should do it. It would be really great. I'll, I'd read it if you wrote it. <laughs> and yeah. he says, no, 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 really like, let's do it together. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll outline a little more. So each question I outlined and did the, some research, like, Here's racism in dental care. Here's racism and mortgages. And right. I went through each one and did 10 idea lists for each list, for each question. And now Charlotte and I have a, an audiobook coming out March 31st that Amazon is publishing and producing, and they're going to go all out on the marketing. And opportunities come from like out of nowhere. Like that was just created just by writing down something, 10 ideas on a waiter's pad, and then photographing it and sending it to Charlemagne. And now we have this huge thing coming out in a, in a couple of months. You, you need, here's an idea for you. You need to brand waiters pads because I'm pretty sure that there is going to be a run on waiters pads uh, starting yeah. right now. Like I do that. have, I do have a, my own, like it says the James Altucher show and it has like uh, an image of my, like a silhouette. Uh, so I do have something, but yeah, I should probably sell those the, or something on the waiters, Pat. You should like, Good idea. Is, but there you go. See, Hey, I'm already, I'm, yes. I'm, <laughs> but I do think like, that's almost, that's almost bad that I had, like, I, I got a good one right off the bat because I think what you're in listening to you talk about this, I know what I do. I have an idea. I have one idea. And then I think about it for a while, you know, like, and then I get, and then I get in the weeds on it and I'm like, I can't really. And then I abandon the idea because I get too focused on one instead of focusing on having a lot of ideas and then come back to the good. Cause it stifles then any, any other ideas. And then it seems like so much work to have an idea. Why would you want to have a whole bunch of them? Yeah. Um, well, 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 the thing is like, let's say it, it you know, 
I had written other lists related to what was going on with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement at that time and, uh, you know, racism and, you know, Malcolm X, I had written a, an idea list about. And uh, so then when Charlemagne said this line, I was kind of all ready to yeah. help someone like that or or at least share ideas with someone who would be who was ideally positioned and had the audience to uh run with it but you know a lot of things too for skip the line are about combining uh two ideas that are completely different so like i there's this one guy i know chris tyler he's 20 uh, when i interviewed him he was 27 years old he's like 28 years old now and he um is a comedian but Unlike most 27 year olds, he's like one of the top guys. He can perform anywhere he wants. And so how did this guy skip the line? Like literally. And he uh, he's it turns out he's a rapper also. So he combines his skills in comedy, which are good, and his skills at rapping, which are good. But he's not going to be the next Eminem or anything. And he'll ask the audience, give me five random words. They give him five random words. And then he starts rapping on the fly, really intelligent raps with these words. And so it's hilarious. So he's he skipped the line. He's like one of the top. He can perform at any club now, which is very rare. For no other twenty-seven-year-old was like that, except maybe Dave Chappelle. So, right. you know, so when you combine different fields, or like take a look at like you know when Saturday Night Fever, the movie came out in the seventies, "Staying Alive" was the most popular disco song ever by the Bee Gees, and then twenty years later, the Fugees take the song "Staying Alive." put a hip hop beat to it and give their Fuji's style to it. Mm-hmm. And, and they combine the two genres, disco and hip hop. And suddenly they have the number one song in the country from combining two ideas, like combining two ideas, the intersection skips the line. Like that was, there's, well, actually I, it was fresh on my mind and I did an interview earlier today of this young woman. She's young and her name is Allie and she's making Allie's banana bread. And it is like, taking over New York city. They were selling really? it at Butterfield. They, they sell out every, they're like, we have Allie's banana bread. You go to get it. You can't get it. It's gone. Right. So I was like, Oh, I want to get like, I feel like we're getting someone like right at the beginning of this. Right. And so she's telling her story and it turns out she was a photographer. Like she had gone to school for photography. She was working for Ralph Lauren photography, but she also loved baking banana bread. So she would make banana bread for her friends. Well, what really happened when things started to take off and you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it right. But turns out she took her really delicious banana bread, but how do you, how do you get the, and then started taking really amazing, like, like my stomach is growling, really amazing photos of the banana bread, putting them on Instagram. And now you can't like, you can't get it because it just sells out. And oh my gosh, that, I got to taste it. I love banana bread. I have to find I know. it. You can't, I'll see if I can get, I'm going to try to, I know I, I have a hookup at Butterfield. I'm going to see if I can get a loaf and I'll split it in half and send some. All right, please. Yeah. Um, well, James, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, but there, there is one more thing, you sure. know, that I just wanted to share in general. Uh, if you're new to James Altucher, if you haven't heard about him before, this success audience, especially in this time we're at right now, like your mindset, your way that you see the world is so liberating. And I really feel like, especially for people listening to success. And so actually one more story from me. I remember I was trying to figure out why, why you like, why I got so nervous when I saw you in the diner. Like, why does James Altucher matter so much to me? And I realized it was because my husband first started listening to your podcast in 2011. So it was a long time ago. Um, 
And at the time we had just bought, we had just had a baby. So I was at home with the baby. I just quit my job and he cashed out our 401ks, which everybody says not to do and bought a house um, in Arizona for $47,000 and was going to fix it up. But uh, our friends are like, oh my gosh, you're crazy. Our parent, you know, like everyone's like, that seems really risky. And he fixed up that house. He's not a handyman. He's not a house fixer upper, but he figured it out while listening to your podcast. Hmm. And every day he'd be I'm, I'm doing grateful, the thing uh, that he did that. Thank you for telling me. Well, it was every day he was doing the thing that everybody said, you can't do that. You can't do that. You just had a baby. You can't do that. You don't know how to build a house. You can't do that. And um, he's been doing it ever since. And I really think that your perspective means a lot. So what would you say? Here we are 10 months in, 11 months into a pandemic for someone who's wondering, like, can I really skip the line? Any last words? Yeah, well, the answer is yes. You, you, you can. You right now have this great opportunity to really list the things you want to do in life, and and see, you know, start making lists. How you can start exploring these items. How can you um, potentially uh, take time off from your job or career or whatever, or switch careers completely, and really pursue what you love doing. And we can give all the techniques and stuff right now, but you know, really the answer is yes, you can do what you want to do. And I know this because I've done it so many times. So many people have told me you can't do this over and over and over again. Heck right now, today, I, um, um, later, later on today, I'm taking a chess lesson. So when I was a kid, I was a very strong chess player. And, but as an adult, you have other things you do in life. You have kids, responsibility, mortgage. You can't do all the things you love, but I want to do it now. Ever since I watched the Queen's Gambit on Netflix, I want to <laughs> get, get good at chess again or even better than I was. So I'm doing all the techniques. I describe them in my book so that I could skip the line once again in, in chess and reclaim my, and even surpass what, where I was before. Well, and there are, there are so many, uh, we could, we could talk for hours about it, but there's so many different, like really, um, practical and they seem just so obvious, like really obvious technique. Whenever, whenever you see something like that and they're like, oh, techniques to achieve your, you're like, "Uh uh-huh. Right. But these are like, these are. Yeah. I agree with you. Like a lot of the times people write these things and I'm like, I don't know if this works. Like they say an academic research report says it works, but I don't know. But these are all things that I've done over and over again, like using these techniques and kind of, you know, summarizing them in a concise way. But, you know, it was a kind of sloppy process learning them over 30 years, but they, they work. And by the way, everything is monetizable. So you would think, oh, well, good for him. He wants to play chess. Okay, yeah. I'm probably not going to monetize it, but I know plenty of people who are not the world champion who are streaming on Twitch with hundreds of thousands of Twitch followers and YouTube followers, and they built up over a short period of time, and they had some specific niche, and now they're making a they're the first people I've ever seen making a good living from playing chess. Like these things are possible now. Or I know one person who started doing social media for law firms when the pandemic started. Uh, she started taking over. Uh, she she would go to lawyers and say, hey, can I run your Instagram account? And their income would quadruple. And so she started scaling it by going to different lawyers and, diff- you know, going all over the country in different towns, pitching to run their social media pages. And now she, uh, I think in the first 10 months, she's made close to a million dollars doing this. So everything's possible. 
Well, and it is so funny because when you were like, oh, I'm going to learn chess. I'm like, oh, that's cute, James. You're going to start a hop. Like, well, I wasn't even thinking about, I'm like, okay, that seems, no, you're right. You can monetize anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and even if you can also, like I could say, well, here's where principles of strategic games help in, you know, business. So, you know, it could, it could become like a, you know, I always have a spoke and wheel approach. So there's a wheel and then you have spokes with it. Like what you could do, right? You could podcast, you could stream, you could give talks, you could consult, you could coach. Like there's all these things to do with every interest you have. And you could, you could combine ideas. So what's, you know, it's like when people write the, 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 the war of art or the art of war, they're combining ideas to take one principles from one area and apply it to another. And those get popular. I just, it really does. You, um, I just feel like uh, there's so many possibilities. Um, yeah, it's actually part, and that's like what a great, what a great way to feel. Actually, that's, and it's a, an exciting, it's an exciting way to feel as opposed to yes, it's scary. There's a virus, but all the time there's things that are scary that are happening on this planet. You could be scared every day if you want to be. You could be scared about mm -hmm. the climate, about politics, about disease, about famine, about wars. But it's also an exciting time because we're being told to do whatever we want right now while the world heals itself. So we should do it. Yeah. You know what? That was actually uh, something else that you put in there is that you do a, um, what was it? An edit. Uh, uh, oh, no, a, a restricted diet and that there are things like you don't watch the you don't watch the news. You're not tuning into. Yeah, I'll tell you from 2010 to 2020, I never watched the news. I never picked up a newspaper. I never went to a news website. And then in when the pandemic started, I did start watching the news in order to see how badly they were misinforming people so I could do those Instagram lives you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I started getting depressed. I know the news is really, it really physically affects you. Like by June or July, I'd been doing this every day. I was depressed. Like I yeah. was physically depressed. I, I had to, I'm, I was the same way. I never paid. That was just, I had just decided a long time ago that the news didn't really serve me. I, you know, like that. I just, and the stories are so powerful that they do have an effect on you. But then yeah, 2020, I started watching the news and I, I quit earlier. I stopped, I stopped, I think in, after Easter, I was oh, yeah, like, that's no. good. yeah, I'm like, I think I'm done. I think I kind of, I think I kind of, I know what to do and what not to do. And I'm just going to go with it, you know? So, yeah. And then I only stopped. And then since I've stopped, it's been great. Like January 6th came and my, I was in my office just, you know, writing or whatever. And my kids came in like, you see what's going on in the Capitol Hill? And I'm like, no, uh, I'm busy. Can you talk to me later? <laughs> And it's like, I'm just not going to pay attention to all to the game that's being played. I'm not interested in that game. Yeah. Yeah. You've got You've got other games to teach people. Yes, exactly. Appreciate that. Well, James, this has been, uh, I mean, it's such, such an honor to be able to like sit here, talk to you. I hope we get to do it again sometime. Yeah, indoors. definitely. Anytime you want. I love that. Indoor dining someday. Yes, absolutely. That's a must. Well, we'll when you're that. in Florida, you'll, you'll, you, you stop on by. Are you going to yeah, well, I'll let you know. I, I am honestly, I am planning just to sit, to sit on a beach and do absolutely nothing. That That's good too. I'm going to pack up my sunscreen though. I, I know I'm going to be, that's going to hurt. So beach umbrella and do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Everybody. It's like, it's weird being here. Cause like everyone's on permanent vacation. The people who live here compared to New York. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with New York, but compared to that lifestyle, it's a different lifestyle. It's weird.
Yeah, I think I've New never York really been outside of New York. But we're, we're, we're trying to uh, we're trying to adjust to now because it doesn't feel yeah it's not vacation but it's still we you know it's like what is the what is the pace it feels a little yeah. bit yeah well, you know all right James thank you so much for sharing thank you, Kendra I appreciate it we'll see you soon. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at KindraHall.com or on Instagram at KindraHall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time. Bye.